optimal minimal. At this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start to shake. Can I ask you a personal question? Now we're the same person. I'm a cybernetic organism, living tissue over metal endoskeleton. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I get asked all the time what I would take if I could only take one supplement. The answer is invariably Athletic Greens. I view it as all-in-one nutritional insurance. I recommended it, in fact, in the four-hour body. This is more than 10 years ago, and I did not get paid to do so. With approximately 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, you'd be very hard-pressed to find a more nutrient-dense and comprehensive formula on the market. It has multivitamins, multimineral greens complex, probiotics and prebiotics for gut health, an immunity formula, digestive enzymes, adaptogens, and much more. I usually take it once or twice a day just to make sure I've covered my bases if I miss anything I'm not aware of. Of course, I focus on nutrient-dense meals to begin with. That's the basis. But Athletic Greens makes it easy to get a lot of nutrition when whole foods aren't readily available. From travel packets, I always have them in my bag when I'm zipping around. Right now, Athletic Greens is giving my audience a special offer on top of their all-in-one formula, which is a free vitamin D supplement and five free travel packs with your first subscription purchase. Many of us are deficient in vitamin D. I found that true for myself, which is usually produced in our bodies from sun exposure. So adding a vitamin D supplement to your daily routine is a great option for additional immune support. Support your immunity, gut health, and energy by visiting athleticgreens.com slash TFS. You'll receive up to a year's supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your subscription. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash TFS, as in Tim Ferriss show. athleticgreens.com slash TFS. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hello, my sexy little kittens. This is Tim Ferriss, and welcome to another episode of The Tim Ferriss Show, where typically it is my job to deconstruct world-class performers, to tease out the habits, the routines, the favorite books, the morning rituals, etc., that you can use. And if you want that, then I have now more than 100, 100, my God, episodes that you can choose from, including Arnold Schwarzenegger, Tony Robbins, Whitney Cummings. Those are three good ones to start with, perhaps, if you're looking for those. All available at 4hourworkweek.com forward slash podcast. Or just go to 4hourworkweek.com and click on podcast, all spelled out. But the purpose of this episode is to thank all of you, because this podcast started as a harebrained experiment. It was really intended to be a break from books. I had a very traumatic uh, experience with my last book launch. It was boycotted by almost all the big box retailers, as well as Barnes & Noble. 
And uh, that's a whole separate story for another time, but you can check it out. It was the first major acquisition by Amazon Publishing, which I'm still glad I did, but uh, suffered a lot at the hands of others. And I suppose myself beating myself up and I decided to take a break. So that break was to try audio because I so enjoyed being on podcasts like the Joe Rogan Experience or Nerdist, for instance, uh, Mark Marin. I really loved being interviewed by these guys and just had a blast because it was luxurious to have the long format, to have the space to actually dive deep and go down in a number of layers in any topic and also to digress and to curse and to be oneself. It was just so refreshing after spending so much time on morning shows where everything is scripted, everything is read through a prompter. And I wanted to see if I would enjoy being on the other side of the table, so to speak. And the beginning was rough. For those of you who have been following the podcast since the beginning, you may recall my very first episode with Kevin Rose, which was really a softball. He's a buddy, and the intention was to sort of really lead me gently into this world of audio. And I got shit-faced. I got sloppy, sloppy drunk. (laughs) And remember listening to the audio afterwards and fast-forwarding and just being disgusted with how completely garbled and slurred everything was. So to celebrate passing the the 100 episode mark. I can't believe it because it, the intention was to do six episodes of the podcast to try to get better at interviewing because the research portion of writing the book is really what I enjoy. So it's taking my favorite part of writing a book without the writing. Uh, I wanted to see if I could get better at interviewing and get better at speaking, really, quite frankly. And I'm not where I would like to be yet, but I've improved. I would like to think. And uh, we're at a hundred episodes. Holy shit. Who would have thought? And I'm so grateful to each and every one of you guys for listening to the podcast. And I won't get all teary eyed uh, right now doing the intro, but I just feel such intense gratitude to all of you for putting up with all the glitches. You know, I've made my audio mistakes. I've tried to do the editing myself and made all, every assortment of myriad fuck up you can imagine. And I've published podcasts as stereo uh, instead of mono. So you would hear one person in one ear and the other person in the other and made a lot of you completely insane. I've made a lot of mistakes, but I've learned from those mistakes and you guys have been very forgiving and very, very supportive. So as a thank you, what I wanted to do was revisit the, 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 the enjoyment of being shit faced in the first episode with Kevin Rose. And, uh, what I mean by that is I decided to, uh, call you guys to drink a bunch of vodka and to call fans and answer your questions. And that is uh, that is what this episode is. It's a compilation of a bunch of those calls. Uh, it's a compilation that includes getting uh, different men and women on the phone, also getting some answering machines, or I suppose as the... Uh, the younger folks would say, a, I don't know, a voicemail greetings, I guess. It's not really a answering machine. In any case, left some of those, some more amusing than others. And um, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. This is not intended to be 
extremely information and tactic dense, although we did cover a lot of really interesting stuff. People asked me about everything from marketing and job interviews to uh, getting out of sort of a, a, a negative downward spiral to tantric sex, <laughs> my views on marriage and kids, etc. So I do think we cover some interesting ground, but uh, I, I am probably sound a little more dulled and alcohol infused than normal. So with that, I hope you enjoy this episode. It means so much to me that you guys listen to this podcast at all. And if this is the first time you're ever hearing this podcast, my preambles aren't usually this long. Uh, but it's very late at night. I'm uh, out in the countryside where I grew up, and uh, I'm feeling very emotional, very loaded, uh, because this podcast has become uh, a, a massive success with no intention of it ever being that. Uh, and I have you guys to thank for that. So thank you for listening. And um, if you want to check out the past episodes, if you're like, what the fuck is this guy rambling on about? You can check out the other interviews. Uh, there are some real amazing guests. And they are all at fourhourworkweek.com. All spelled out. Click on podcast and you can see every single one of them. So Onward to the alcohol show. And I was drinking Bar Hill, B-A-R-R -R Hill Vodka. I have no association with these guys. So Caledonia Spirits, Bar Hill Vodka from Vermont, distilled from raw honey. I'm usually a gin guy. Uh, I do like wine, of course, as many of you know. But if I'm going to do a clear drink, it's usually gin. I love Hendrix. Uh, I love Boodles, for instance. Mostly Hendrix uh, because it's easier to get. But because I like the juniper berries, right? A lot of chefs drink gin and not vodka because vodka is vodka is vodka, usually. But this stuff is, it has a very subtle flavor to it that I really enjoy. So that was my alcohol of choice for this slew of phone calls. And uh, as always, um, let me know what you guys think. And shoot me a note on Twitter, at T Ferris, T-F-E-R-R-I-S-S, -S, or on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Tim Ferriss. And as always, thank you for listening. Justin, this is Tim Ferriss. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm fucking fantastic. I'm having uh, some <laughs> Bar Hill vodka and uh, playing with my puppy and making some phone calls. And you're my first phone call. So, oh, I'm I'm honored. Oh, well, I'm uh, I'm stoked that you submitted your info. So I'm <laughs> going to try to answer as many questions from as many people as possible. So I would uh, love to start with yours. So I'd say just lay it on cool. me. I'm a huge fan of yours, and I follow pretty much every all the podcasts you put out. And actually, you turned me on to uh, Ryan Holiday as well. He's a which, smart, uh, smart lad. That I'm one. Very thankful for, and I'm in the middle of a job train. Uh, transition and I'm looking, I'm going into all these interviews, but I have a hard time kind of marketing myself mm -hmm. and I'm a marketing director. Right. Often happens. How would you, how would you kind of get better at that? And uh, I, I know you've kind of answered this in parts before, but never kind of really specifically like that. Yeah. I would say there are a couple of things. So the, f the first thing I would say is you could consider a book that I was recommended by, I think it was Trilogy Software when I was first graduating from school called How to Be a Star at Work. But that's more about implementation on the job. Uh, and I might be paraphrasing the title. The, the recommendation I would make is to study how 
good people hire, or I should say people who are good at hiring, how they interview and what they're looking for. So there's a book called Who, W-H-O, which was written, okay. written by two guys, one of whom was the son or is the son of the guy who wrote Top Grading, which for a long time was considered the Bible of hiring. So I would say check out Who and uh, look at the interviewing chapter specifically. So focus on, uh, d- for, for instance, I know a number of uh, people who are very good at hiring, and the things they look for are crises that applicants have faced and kind of play-by-play how they responded to it, like emotionally how they reacted, and then how they took action afterwards. And mm-hmm. uh, they're also interested in what type of cool shit you have done in your life. Uh, and for instance, I think it's Y Combinator who asks applicants, you know, what's the coolest thing they've ever built, uh, outside of tech or outside of a startup on their own time, for instance. So I think that those, those would be a couple of tips off the bat. And then last, I would read the 22 immutable laws of marketing because the 22 immutable laws of marketing, the original edition, not the updated for the internet version which was out of date by the time the book went to press, but the old version with like uh, Amstel Light and airline examples and so on, the 22 immutable laws of marketing apply to anything, not just a product or service, or I should say it applies to a product or a service, even if you happen to be a product. Does that make sense? Right. So Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely have read that one already and uh, per your recommendation. And so I think the uh, I'll definitely take up on the uh, who. As well. yeah. yeah, check out that. And just, uh, I think that in all of these uh, rehearsals, the name of the game, just like negotiation, you don't want to right. have the most important negotiation of your life be your first or your second or your third or your tenth. So I would say get get comfortable with your pitch, like actually do mock interviews uh, yeah. and make sure that you are comfortable doing that. And I mean, it depends on the stakes involved, obviously, but being interviewed by your friends is, is a good place to start, but I would actually per- consider hiring people to mock interview you who are strangers, but who are good at interviewing, um, awesome. because that would raise the, the, that would make the psychological terrain more similar to what you're actually going to, uh, react with when in a real job interview. So those would be, uh, those, would be, those would be my thoughts. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate the, uh, insight. Yeah, yeah, no worries, man. My pleasure. And uh, for those people, if you if this ends up in the podcast, would you like people to to find you anywhere on social? Maybe there's somebody looking out look at looking for a marketing director out there. Oh uh, yeah, J Oliver SF on Twitter. All right, J Oliver SF. We'll do, man. Yep. Uh, have a good night. Hello. Hi, this is Beth. And this is. Beth, this is Tim Ferriss calling. Good evening. Oh my God, are you serious? Oh, I'm 100% dead serious, like malaria. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> oh my God, fucking fantastic. Hello. <laughs> where, where, am I, where am I finding you? Which part of the world? Rochester, Minnesota. Rock on, Minnesota. Cool. Well, I, uh, I'm very excited to connect and I'm having a refreshing adult beverage, and I'm all yours. So I would uh, feel free to ask anything that may be on your mind. Oh my God, how many do I get? I'll give you, I'll give you one. You know, I'll, give you, I'll give you one, maybe two, depending on how long-winded my answer is to the first. Okay, tantric sex. Tantric sex, what about it? 
Um, have you done it? How does one go about doing it? Uh, I saw somebody else had made a comment about some kind of meditation type thing. Um, curious. Yeah. So, all right. Tantric sex uh, or tantric sex. Uh, living in SF, I have a lot of friends who would claim to be experts in such a thing. Uh, I do think, of course, there are uh, tantric sexual practices of various types. I've looked at different books like, and I'm not sure which facet of this is most interesting to you, but I think his name is Montak Chia. I could be totally butchering that, but the multi-orgasmic man. So looking at not only the, say, 15-minute orgasm as detailed in the four-hour body, so uh, orgasmic meditation or oming, uh, which I have looked at very, very closely, but the possibility for uh, non-ejaculatory orgasm in men is something I've looked at quite closely. I've actually experimented with that and decided on some level that uh, it's not my favorite thing in the world <laughs> for a whole host of reasons. Uh, partially because in the early stages of practice, it often requires that uh, the woman, or that's in my heteronormative world, but the woman take like her index finger and middle finger and like basically dim mock, like death press your perineum or perineum, which. Uh, uh-huh. right, right when you're about to ejaculate, which kind of kills the mood for me, quite frankly. Uh, <laughs> but I, I do find a lot of it very interesting, but I don't have uh, any extensive domain expertise, alas. Sting seems to be up to speed. He he apparently can have sex for like 73 hours straight or something ridiculous like that. So uh, right. he, he, I'm sure he has been asked about that in interviews uh, and may have recommendations that would be easily found on the interwebs. But beyond that, really the closest I've come to looking at that very seriously was looking at uh, the orgasmic meditation with a focus on female orgasm, which uh, is, is, it really touches on a lot in terms of not just the physiology, but the psychology, the emotional barriers, past trauma, and how that can be overcome, etc. So the practice of something very simple like this 15-minute uh mostly uh, clitoral stimulation, it actually includes a lot. Uh, and I think that in sex, you know, how you do anything is how you do everything really reflects a lot about someone's life. And, and a lot, and I suppose, conversely, if you're able to overcome problems and challenges in the bedroom, that often translates to similar progress in other areas of your life. So that's why I spent two chapters on it in, uh, in my second book. But uh, I am going to have to run, but is, yep. uh, do you have a Twitter handle or anything that you'd like to share with the world? No. Okay. That's, that's probably the wiser choice. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, have a... Oh, that's so cool you called. Yeah. Have a wonderful evening, and I hope you find you what you are looking for. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. At the tone, please record your message. When you have finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Spencer, this is your Uncle Joe. I'm at the emergency room. I seem to have a few stitches. Nothing terribly serious. I'm joking. This is Tim Ferriss. Sorry to miss you. Goodbye. Andy, this is Tim Ferriss calling. How the hell are you? Tim, I'm doing well. How are you? 
I'm great. Which part of the country or world am I finding you in? I am in uh, West Des Moines, Iowa. Nice. Home of home of Dan Gable. Uh, well, kind of. He's well, kind of. I'm treating this state as one big neighborhood. I apologize. <laughs> but, That's uh, true. <laughs> so I am uh, all yours. What, can, uh, what, what might I be able to answer or attempt to answer at the oh. least? Oh man, that's uh, that's crazy. I wasn't uh, I wasn't even expecting that. I, I wasn't figuring you'd call, so I'm really on the spot here. <laughs> you can take a second. I've, I've well, here, well, <clears throat> well, gosh. Well, here's a question, Tim. I uh, I'm really um, I'm really having trouble. I, I've, uh, I, I've I'm not in uh, I'm not in the greatest physical shape right now as I used to be. I'm in pretty decent shape, but I'd really like to get back to the point where I can run. Um, you know, half marathons somewhat easily, as easily as somebody can run a half marathon, or really just be able to get out and run about five miles at a time and have that be, uh, you know, something that's not, that, that, that's enjoyable rather than a real challenge or even something that I can't do. And I'm really finding it really difficult just to even get back out and, and do that. I've been to that, that place before and not really there and not really finding anything um, that's motivated me to do that. So I guess from your perspective, what's a, what's a way that you found when, when you're just not feeling like anything is motivating you to, to work out and get back in shape and, and achieve the goals that you want to, what's a good way to make sure that I'm doing that and sticking to that? Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah. I think that in this case, the question is really a why to and not a how to, because if you've done mm-hmm. five mile runs, half marathon runs before you clearly have the capability to do that. And you could probably just replicate a previous training regimen. And I could make all sorts of advice, uh, right. give all sorts of advice related to say Brian McKenzie's approach to CrossFit endurance or deadlift based protocols or jumping rope to, to work on your Achilles tendon and, and sort of, uh, impact points on the foot and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. But it seems to me, like many people, it's it's not that you lack instruction, it's that you need an incentive. And I think that for me, and I'm thinking about this a lot right now, I just watched tonight a documentary called uh, Meru, or Meru, I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it, about rock climbing, and or I guess alpine climbing. And it became really clear to me that I need a sort of male camaraderie in a team framework uh, Mm -hmm. to be really happy in life. And I've always, or I should say, going through school, I had that, but I need to build that for myself uh, with a competitive context of some type. And you know, experienced that recently with, in fact, Brian McKenzie and Laird Hamilton and doing some training with them. And it was just such a breath of, of incredible life that I felt being uh, being able to train with a group of guys in that way again. But the the point I'm giving is that uh, coming out of this movie, I started thinking immediately about how I could incentivize myself to get into optimal shape for X, fill in X, with some type of goal, which means having a deadline and incentives, right? So what does that mean in practical terms? That means that I will probably follow the um, the stakes element that I talk about in the four hour chef. And that simply means much like my friend, AJ Jacobs, I'll give that example. So stop me if you've heard this, but uh, other people may not have, which is AJ Jacobs 
very hilarious writer, does a lot for Esquire, has written a number of fantastic books like The Year of Living Biblically. Uh, he wanted to lose weight, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he wrote a check. He's Jewish. He wrote a check to the American Nazi Party for some amount of money that was painful enough and uh, gave it to, I believe it was his wife or best friend, to mail off if he, di- if he didn't lose X number of pounds by Y point in time. And, you know, miraculously, he fixed his a python that swallowed a goat physique, right? So this is, it's a clear example, but he's, he's no exercise scientist, but he figured it out because he had a sufficient penalty in place. So I think making a very public commitment, uh, or a commitment to other people publicly, uh, or privately that you, whose, whose opinions you care about, uh, is probably enough. So you could use sites like stick, S T I C K K dot com. You could use, uh, sites like, um, let's see, uh, Lyft, which I believe is coach.me. So that might actually be a, a good first step because you get an accountability partner or coach. So coach.me might be worth wow. checking out. Uh, or you could put together a betting pool with a handful of friends or coworkers, for instance, hopefully the same thing, <laughs> who have a similar aspiration, right? Or you could just put together a betting pool where people are betting against or for you, right? Okay. Uh, and make it public enough with a very specific deadline so that you feel compelled through social pressure and risk of embarrassment to do what you would like to do. Because I think that uh-huh. with, without that, let's face it, right? You don't need to run a half marathon to save your life. It's not like this is a must have low on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It it is an optional like it is for most people who just want to, they're like, Oh, I just want to look great in a pair of jeans or I just want a six pack, but it's not really a must have. Uh, and I think for those optional nice to haves that are still important to us that we, you have to ratchet up the incentive and that incentive can be a reward or a penalty. And I hate to say it, but in the U.S., we like to talk about pat on the head, you know, gold ribbon for 13th place. But the penalties work really, really well. So we will we will work a lot harder to avoid having someone steal $100 from us than we will work to make $100. And we can use that psychology. So, you know, creating a betting pool where you stand to lose quite a you know, a decent amount of money, enough that it will sting, is a very simple way to tackle it. So I would do that, and then you can focus on all the how-to stuff uh, that you, you know, 99% of which you probably already know. But that would be that would be my my suggestion. Okay, cool. awesome. I, that, that, that's great. I appreciate it. Cool, man. Well, I will. Uh, I'll let you, I'll let you get to it then. And I guess uh, people are going into the office tomorrow. We're talking on Labor Day, so. You could you could have this sort of done and be off to the races, so to speak, uh, end of day tomorrow. So, are you good? Are you willing to take care of that tomorrow? Uh, I, so I work from home, ah, um, but I'm gonna. It. It's, it's, it'll be a little more difficult for me, but I'm gonna I'm gonna just, I'm gonna see what I can uh, what I can figure out. Today. The first thing I'm gonna do is I am gonna get out and uh, I'm gonna get out and run three miles tomorrow. Um, and then I'm going to figure out who I can uh, who I can recruit to have some sort of challenge group and some sort of betting group to uh, to help me out with this. Yeah, check out check out coach.me. Check out uh, stick s t i c k k dot com. 
And then if you want to see how the betting can work in a different context, you could also check out dietbet.com. Okay. Cool. All right, man. Well, I will let all you. Right, I'll, hey, thanks for thanks for everything. I, I I own all your books, but I did buy them used. But at some point, you got the royalties there, so I guess, <laughs> all right, uh, I'll buy the next one retail. <laughs> no problem, man. I appreciate <laughs> it. And uh, send me some updates on Twitter or Facebook. So at T Ferris T F E R R I S S or Facebook dot com forward slash Tim Ferris with two R's and two S's. But let me know when you're going to run your half marathon. Absolutely, man. Hey, thanks a lot, Tim. Cheers. Yeah, you too, man. Bye-bye. All right, see you, man. Hello, Anne. This is Tim Ferriss calling. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm, I'm splendid. I'm petting little Molly. That is my, uh, my six-month-old or five-month-old mudblood rescue pup. Yes, and, yes, uh, yes. And she is uh, cute. She's a cutie. And I am all yours. So I'm happy to answer any question that you might have. Well, you know, I am. Um, I'm wondering about your love life. I'm, I've been happily married to my husband, Joe, for 31 years. We have two beautiful daughters. So I am really, um, you know, I hear you in a lot of your podcasts talk about um, children and so I'm just hoping that mm-hmm. that that is in your in your sight there, because they are such a, a really beautiful blessing. To um, it's just a beautiful legacy well, I, to have children and to watch them grow up. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I was actually just uh, with my one of my former college roommates today and playing with his three kids for the last two days, and uh, it's. It's something that, I, of course, I'm biologically programmed for, uh, and <laughs> I feel like I would be a good dad. Uh, but then I have all sorts of I questions. You would too. I, 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 I think I would. I, there are all sorts of concerns that pop up for me um, that are not maybe directly related to having kids. But for instance, I realize as much as I may be programmed to have kids and to protect them, I'm not necessarily programmed for monogamy, for instance. And Mm -hmm. I live in San Francisco and there are all sorts of different arrangements that can be had that are socially accepted there. But that is, that is part of my internal struggle. Uh, because I don't want to bring kids into the world and then have some cataclysmic implosion in the home that then leads yeah. to divorce, et cetera. So it's, it's right. that, that is part of the calculus that I'm struggling with. And sure. I, I don't know what the answer is quite frankly, but I do enjoy, I'm not one of those people who hates kids. I actually, there are now don't get me wrong. When I see mm-hmm. three kids or four kids melting down and their parents having complete panic attack in an airport, I don't envy that experience. Uh, but yeah. simultaneously, I see how much joy some of my closest friends are getting out of having kids. And right. Uh, right. It, it is something that's very much on the mind. So it's um, it's not something I'm ignoring. Mm. It's something that I'm thinking very deeply about. But I, I guess uh, my sort of policy so far has been, if in doubt, do not pull the trigger. <laughs> right. For, for lack of right. a better description but what what do you let me ask you this what what do you think has allowed 
what is, so many marriages fail. So many marriages are on the rocks constantly. Um, what do you feel has enabled your, what are the, the, the characteristics of your marriage or of mm-hmm. how you mm-hmm. interact with your husband that have allowed you to have this mm-hmm. relationship last so long? Mm-hmm. Well, um, first of all, my husband and I grew up, um, in pretty much the same sort of families. We grew up in the same city. We actually went to the same grade school together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, when I talk about his parents, I sometimes say I fell in love with his parents before I fell in love with Joe. Right. And I really do mean that. I, I really, um, you know, how sometimes they say that if you, um, you know, if you see, um, you know, I saw his father as somebody that I knew that Joe would be. Right. And he is that he pretty, in a lot of ways, and there's, there's not, uh, you know, I think, but, um, to be perfectly honest, it's our, it's, it's really the, the spirituality. Right. Uh, we grew up in, we grew up as Catholics mm-hmm. and, um, it doesn't mean that we have not had really serious, um, you know, when we first met, when we were first married, we really had some serious, um, problems that we, um, I didn't think we were going to get through before mm-hmm. we even had kids. And we were able to, um, really go back to how we were raised and really be able to think reasonably about, um, had we given our marriage an opportunity to grow and develop and change and, and really in, in, because both of us were, um, we're, we're both in, grew up in the seventies. And so, um, you know, we, we both grew up kind of struggling with monogamy too. Right, right. um, I think we both, um, walked down the aisle wanting to do things the way our parents did them. Um, both of our parents, you know, my folks have been married for, um, 56 years. His parents were married until his mother just recently died. Um, but, um, you know, really wanting that and, um, um, knowing that, um, the culture, um, it doesn't support that kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't. Um, but knowing that, um, both of us had, both of us honestly, um, had moved away from Catholicism and we were both practicing TM too. Oh, transcendental <laughs> um, meditation. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. He had learned it. Um, he had learned it when he was at the, when he was in the, at the university of Minnesota. And then I, um, was, um, kind of came at it a roundabout way and was studying, um, Ayurveda and then came into, um, learning about TM through Ayurveda. And so, um, we both were practicing. I had gone through after him and, but both of, um, it's funny because TM kind of led us back to our faith, believe how, it or not. How, was, how uh, was that? How did it do? How did it have that effect? I'm so um, curious because, because TM is very secular in a way. It is. It is. But was it was really funny because when I ex- I had expressed to Joe that I wanted to learn TM and he said, "Well, just be careful because um, he said they think Maharishi is Jesus Christ <laughs> <laughs> and or or <laughs> and um, and he was joking, but there was that um, you know when you go through the um, the initiation part of it that something happened in my heart that I realized that. Um, I had already given myself to somebody 
Jesus Christ. And so I was able to take all of that, uh, even though I still um, practice, I don't practice TM in the same, in, I don't practice TM as with that mantra, that, that mantra that I was given. I took all of that and directed it toward um, deepening my relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, I think that's, and so, and yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's so, totally fair though. I mean, I think the, the value of TM and quite frankly, what has bothered me about TM is that fixation on a guru like figure, which uh, now for me, mm-hmm. I find that, um, uh, I did not want to adopt that particular, um, fixation mm-hmm. that they that they really bring up very early in TM and haven't myself. I've really focused on the mantra almost as a sound or white noise uh, with therapeutic mm-hmm. value. But um, right. it's, there are times, I will say, that I envy people with a religious faith uh, because it gives you a playbook that you can compare to your partner's playbook to see if you're playing by the same rules or not, at least at a very high level. And it's, it's, if you go from say, it's kind of like you can travel around the world and if you're a fan of a particular soccer team or the Yankees or whatever, you can, you can speak a common language. And I feel like with, uh, least specific sects of different religions, for instance, uh, also true of certain philosophies, you can share that common language even if you don't speak the same language uh, verbally. And uh, so there is a part of me that, that greatly envies that, although I haven't come to the same conclusions that you have myself. Uh, so big topics. Uh, but uh, Yes, exactly. Big yeah. topics. But I, but I think that's, that's what's carried, but that's what's carried um, Joe and I along. Um, together with our daughters and now they're grown up and we're kind of in a new, we're experiencing a new place because our daughters are grown. One daughter's married and, um, and then the other daughter's um, pursuing her um, college career. So anyways, but um, yeah, so um, it was that. And then let's see, I don't, I don't think I had another question for you, but that every time I hear when I'm listening to your podcast and, and I think it was the other part of the TM when um, I think I heard you express it or somebody else that you were talking to express my um, misgivings with TM was the cost involved in it. And I thought, yeah. okay, they're always talking about the weakest link in this, uh, the whole, um, you know, the, the, um, the supernatural and, and when we're, when we're practicing TM, that weakest, the, the weakest link is that person not practicing or the weakest link in society is not um, you know, and I thought, well, then you should be doing this all for free, you know, yeah. because if we're, we're teaching people to, um, to really transcend themselves, if we're really teaching people that, you know, it really isn't about the physical thing that we experience here. Um, but anyway, so I thought no, whoever it's brought that it's up, true. I, brought, I brought that up like, because it's bothered me. I brought it up because yeah, the argument yeah. that TM would make. And so people who want to check out TM can check it out. TM.org. There are a bunch of other organizations. Uh, oh, yeah. I think it's the David Finch foundation, I think is, or David Lynch. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. That's uh, mixing up my oh, names. Yeah. I've had a little bit of vodka. I apologize. 
uh, <laughs> no, that's kind a- of kind of required if I'm going to call this the drunk dialing episode. But the uh, yeah, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> but there's so you have tm. <laughs> you, so you have tm.org uh, if you want to check that out. But also you have very low cost or free apps like Headspace or Calm, yes, which yes. both can really mm-hmm. help jumpstart a very similar type of mindfulness training. And for those people who mm-hmm. haven't listened to the other podcasts, you know, 80% of the people I have on this podcast and interview have some type of meditative or mindfulness practice. But right. I tell you what, we could talk all night yeah. and, but I want to yeah, make sure I have a chance to, to chat with some other folks. But uh, I okay, appreciate the reminder. Thank you for your phone call. Of course. Yeah, and, very um, good. Keep up the great work. Thank you for everything you're doing. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. And okay. uh, thanks for uh, providing a... A, uh, a role model for what it sounds like is, is a wonderful family you've built. So thank you. Well, okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> See you. Bye-bye. When you have finished recording, you may hang up or press one for more options. Carol, this is Tim. I know I've been calling a lot. I'm sorry to keep calling, but you never pick up. This is Tim Ferriss. Just kidding. I wanted to just leave you a voicemail because I feel compelled to tell you how much I've been missing your voice, even though I've never heard your voice. And uh, that's all. Merry Christmas. Goodbye. I'm excellent. How are you? I'm doing very well. So Alden it is. I was wondering how to pronounce the name, but uh, yep. looks like I got it right. So I am... Uh, Stoked to connect, man. I'm all yours. So I would be uh, honored to answer a question if you have one. All right, I do. So I'm a, I'm a fitness enthusiast and a health coach. And so I'm trying to find a question that hasn't been asked pertaining to health. No worries. What, is, what are two to three supplements that you would recommend someone to never take? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, two to three supplements that I would never recommend someone take or that I would advise against. Or in most cases. That's a very tough one. That, that's a good one and a very tough one. I think it's, it's largely situational and dependent on blood markers and whatnot. Uh, I do think that uh, men who consume multivitamins, daily multivitamins containing iron, among other things, are asking for trouble. Uh, So I would say multivitamins oftentimes can do more harm than good. That would be right right kind of off the bat. And I think that um, on a related note, uh, you know, one of the one of the theories for the longevity or lifespan discrepancy uh, sort of median lifespan discrepancy, uh, I guess it's not median, it would be uh, mean lifespan discrepancy between men and women. One of the, one of the theories is that uh, men do not menstruate. Therefore they, they, they develop toxic levels of particular uh, say heavy metals that, that can in part be excreted through menstruation by women. So that is one compelling reason to donate blood for instance. Um, mm-hmm. Let's see. Uh, I may not have a second and a third that come to mind, but I'd say categorically, if something is highly isolated, much like beta carotene was not all too long ago, uh, people believe that you could get all the benefits of, say, 
beta carotene is found in carrots through consuming isolated or synthetic and or synthetic beta carotene supplements. And uh, what they realized is that that could produce many unintended side effects because it wasn't being consumed from whole food sources that, that contain cofactors, many of which we probably haven't even identified uh, and named. So I would say that whenever something gets highly isolated and, synth- and synthesized, uh, I-, I like to see longitudinal data in humans before I act as a guinea pig, even though I'm very well known or thought of as a human guinea pig, I actually like to play it safe with a lot of that stuff. So even something that I think is potentially very promising, like metformin or rapamycin, for instance, um, if I were, even if I were to start at both of those today, I would be a real, I would not be an early adopter, uh, even though I'd be well ahead of most people. So I'm still waiting for more data uh, and input from doctors on a lot of that stuff. All right. Well, I would say that I wholeheartedly agree about the multivitamin. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, I've recently read an article for John Meadows' Mountain Dog Diet website mm-hmm. on the interactions of beta carotene or vitamin A interfering with vitamin D absorption as well as other things. Yep. And so I actually stopped taking multivitamins primarily for the fact because of the high, high isolation or high concentration of beta carotene. Yep. So I, I think that we have we suffer from a great deal of uh, epistemologic or epistemological arrogance, as Nassim Taleb of the Black Swan would say. We think we know more than we actually know, and uh, that can get us fancy monkeys into a lot of trouble. Uh, cool, man. Well, I tell you what, I want to try to get to as many people as possible. I don't want to uh, cut this too short, but for can people find you on Twitter or anywhere else? Would you like to uh, to give people an opportunity to say hello? Sure thing. Um, I'm at Alders Lodge on Twitter, A-L-D-E-R-S-L-O-D-G-E. Or they, if they want, they can email me. Oh, I wouldn't do A-L-D- that. I, I wouldn't do yeah. that. <laughs> that's, that's, that's true. I, I know that. I'm going I'm to save, <laughs> save you from, <laughs> you from certain me. death. Okay. Uh, <laughs> cool, man. Well, good to connect. And uh, hey, keep up the good fight. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Hello. Hello. Is this Marifer? I apologize. I don't know how to pronounce your name. Uh, yes. Did I get that right? This is Tim Ferriss calling. Oh my God! Are you serious? I I really didn't think I would ever get a call from Tim Ferriss. Well, here we I are. I mean, actually, right? Well, I'm actually laying down in a bed in Colombia, South America. <laughs> wow. Are you Colombian or where where are you from? I am Colombian. You are? I'm Colombian. And yes, wow. and you should totally, my question for you would be, what would it take for you to come down here? I will be your guide. I will take you everywhere. You will have a blast. It doesn't take very much. I actually lived for <laughs> a month in Medellin because I absolutely love Colombia. So which part of Colombia are you in? I'm in Barranquilla. Barranquilla. Nunca estuve. <laughs> Nunca, how is it? No. How is Barranquilla? I've heard but, a lot about it. I've never been. Um, I, it's awesome. It's really hot, right? I mean, it's hot. It's on the coast, in the north coast. Um, Barranquilla is famous because we have the second largest carnival in South America. Oh, wow. Of course, you have like Sofia Vergara, 
is from here. Um, she happens to be my cousin as well. Wow. Shakira is from here. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm actually, I actually was her personal assistant while she was moving from Miami to LA to be a movie star. Wow. So I went through all that well, she's, crap. She, oh yeah, her, her whole plan has worked out, it would seem. I, yes, I, play, um, I, I was play. a big part of it. That's amazing. So, so why now? Why do you speak English so well? How did you learn English? Um, well, I grew up here, and I went to American schools down here. We have about four different American schools, and I grew up among with uh, American teachers. I lived in a an, um, a private neighborhood where like a lot of uh, foreigners live, and my neighbors were from. I had neighbors from Denmark, and I had neighbors from St. Louis, Missouri. So I, I grew up just, <laughs> I, it's either, you know, there was only like, uh, maybe with, including my brothers who were like eight kids in the gated community. So it was it, either you, you spoke some language that we all understood or you just didn't have friends. And my Danish friend, he sucks at Spanish. He still sucks to this day. He lives here. Oh. And, um, he's, yeah, he really draws girls away because he's kind of like too intense. That's, he gets in their face like, hello. That sounds, um, wow. So he's just like, yeah. also perezoso. I mean, he's just like, he's, he won't learn languages, huh? Right. Yeah. When you were down here, nobody ever, like I followed your, I've been reading your blog and I'm, I mean, I'm a total fan. So I, I thought, I was like, I gotta get, I gotta let this guy know. Well, that whatever adventure he wants is here. Well, I've been looking for excuses to get back to Colombia, so that it doesn't take much. I, Seriously, I, I had such I had such an incredible time in uh, what do they call it? The uh, La Ciudad de Primavera Eterna. Is that what they call? Uh, yes, Medellin. Yeah. Yeah, it's so beautiful. I mean, yeah. the altitude is uh, also caused me to suck wind a bit. But you know what? I could talk about Columbia all day, but I want to let you get to bed, and I want to also... Um I want to have a chance to have some more vodka and call some more people. So I will ask you if you have any questions that I can answer. Uh, certainly, I'm happy to answer questions about how I feel about Columbia or other things. But uh, what what question can I answer for you? Um, I Honestly, what I need the most help right now, I've been in a very negative spot for the last month and a half. Hmm. I made the mistake, a very un- Ferris uh, uh, action of hiring someone without for my business and I fire this person and I've been stuck in this like negative um, um, this negative hole just mm. just going around in circles like what the F you know how did I make the mistake how did I not go through and um, my business that I'm trying to launch a product that I can ship out, you know, again, following your advice. Mm-hmm. So I invented a ketchup that is, is completely made out of vegetables. So I marketed it. I'm, all, I'm also an internet marketer. Mm-hmm. So I market this as a hidden veggies ketchup for children made with natural and organic ingredients. Mm-hmm. So I finally found a co-packer that will do all this stuff for me. But the problem is now I need a little bit more funding than I wanted to. So the question will be, where, you know, where do you get a little bit more funding without having, you know, without having people going, I want 50% of your company? This is a good question. So I, you asked a couple of different questions. So I would say, or implied a couple of questions. So in terms of the dark 
self-doubt and negative space, there are a few things that I found very helpful uh, because we all experience that or most humans do. There are maybe some mutants out there who don't, but I, I, I spend time with a lot of successful people. Um, you know some very successful people, obviously, and everyone I think has moments of self-doubt and negative spirals. So a few things that helped me tremendously. The first is a book uh, with a terrible title and great content, but it's called How to Stop Worrying and Start Living by Dale Carnegie. That is a not his best-known book, but I think one of his most helpful. And I've actually sort of written about my thinking around this, or to, to make it seem more human, this type of self-doubt. I wrote an article called uh, Productivity Tricks for the Manic, Depressive, Neurotic, and Crazy Like Me, something like that. So if you search neurotic and Tim Ferriss, it'll pop right up. But the, the other thing, uh, that I've found is exercise. Uh, exercise is really sort of the number one most effective way to self medicate. And in this particular context, and if you have the ability to either go for to either run or swim, there's something about the the repetitive motion that is very meditative for people. In terms of the financing, uh, there's a book you would probably have to get it used, but uh, called Guerrilla Financing, uh, I believe. And I think the author's name is J. Conrad Levinson. I think it's Levinson as, as a last name. Uh, someone might be able to correct me on the internet. But uh, Guerrilla Financing, G-U-G-U-E. I want to say R-R-I-L-L-A financing, although my spelling has been better in your, yeah, your Spanish. Best. Yeah, your Spanish spelling is, is, is needs help. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, but in this particular case, so a lot of people would spell like gorilla, like gorilla the ape, but in this case, it's a gorilla. Like gorilla. Like, like gorilla warfare. Yeah. So I think... Yeah, I, I read the gorilla marketing. Yeah, but, so it's, yeah. The same, it's the same author or the same series of books, but it's called Gorilla Financing, and there are some very interesting uh, recommendations and aspects. Uh, the other thing that I would suggest you check out is... Uh, a post that I wrote with the help of a, a CEO I know called Hacking Kickstarter. So I think that an opportunity for you to raise financing would be potentially crowdfunding. But crowdfunding has a lot of promise, a lot of peril if you don't follow certain details. And this particular post is very, very detailed and effective. And it gives you the exact scripts, the exact details and instructions and uh, literally three days ago, met two founders who used that post, followed it step by step, word for word, and raised $4 million on, on Kickstarter. Uh, wow. I don't necessarily recommend raising more money than you need, but the point is that, that crowdfunding, uh, at least at this point in time, is very entrepreneur friendly. So it is worth, I mean, the terms and conditions are very favorable towards people posting projects. So it is an interesting and advantageous time for uh, people to look at that as an option. So I would recommend that. Okay. Um, I, I remember all that. Cool. Perfect. Well, I actually, yeah, I actually remember, I've actually read your Kickstarter post. Ah. And I mean, yeah, 
Um, so I'm familiar with it, but I I have to tell you that this I'm in this you know it's like I can't I'm just like oh so mad at this person this person is like I'm gonna sue you and I'm like go ahead yeah you know, knock yourself out it, yeah I'm it, just like that that stuff always happens and I would say the uh, how to stop worrying and start living is is a good one to read yeah uh, and then yeah. secondly in terms of letting go of resentment and anger and so on, which is an issue that I've had for decades, um, I would say that the Stoic philosophers that I talk so much about are are Mm -hmm. still and will probably always be my recommendation. Uh, So Seneca, The Younger, Letters from a Stoic, etc. Marcus Aurelius, Meditations, uh, a little less so for me, but people like Ryan Holiday seem to prefer him. Um, I would suggest checking those out as well. Uh, but uh, what kind of meditation do you do? I started. I'm starting transcendental meditation on the 24th. I have my yeah, first class. Yeah, I do mostly. I'd say it's a blend of vipassana meditation and transcendental meditation. So, what does that mean in concrete ah. terms? That means, but TM is really what I've focused on for the last one or two years. That means that I meditate 20 minutes in the morning or 21 minutes, and I focus. Uh, depending on the day, how I'm feeling, etc., on either my breath uh, or the mantra and the, the, the repetitive sound or nonsense word that you will repeat as part of TM. Uh, so I, I combine those two, yeah. and I've also borrowed some aspects of the meditation that Sam Harris recommends. So Sam Harris has been on my, pad, my podcast twice, He's a neuroscientist uh, by training, PhD, very interesting guy. But I will, I, I, I am also spending oftentimes the last three to five minutes uh, meditating while looking at the sky. Uh, this requires some explanation, so I'll let you. <laughs> you can listen to my latest episode of the podcast with Sam Harris, H A R R I S, gets into this in some detail. But uh, that's that's currently how I'm doing things. Oh, cool, cool. Thank you. I'll follow your advice. Thank you for calling me. And um, I know that you want to drunk dial a bunch of. Are you drunk? Or are you uh, just drunk? I've had three or four vodka drinks, so I'd say I'm pleasantly uh, smoothing out my rough edges. <laughs> Ooh, listen, Tim Ferriss, you could have been right here, right now, having some really good aguardiente. <laughs> I could. Nos vemos yeah. en Colombia. And I ojalá, will, ojalá que tengamos la oportunidad. And I will talk to you soon. Okay, you have a good night. Bye. Hello. This is Eric. Going, it's it going. Is. It's going well. How are, uh, and how does uh, how's this evening treating you? Oh, another night in paradise, man. I was actually just getting through the final minutes of your podcast with Wim. With uh, with who? With Wim. Oh, nice. Yeah, Wim is uh, Wim Mr. Wim Hof, the Ice Man. He's yeah, absolutely. He sounds like a mad scientist. I like him. He is a mad scientist. He definitely, definitely is. Where am I catching you? To it, uh, I was about to read the first few numbers of your. 
phone number. That would have been terrible etiquette. Uh, but you are in uh, in Canada, it would seem. Or do you yeah, just I'm have... in Vic, uh, Victoria, BC. Beautiful place. Beautiful, beautiful town. Where Absolutely. You... Do you make it up to BC often? Uh, whenever I want a contact high from just walking down the street and inhaling marijuana smoke, that's my first pick. <laughs> <Yeah>. Seriously, <laughs> it's a beautiful place. It's uh, really, really one of my favorite places in the Pacific Northwest. Absolutely. So, what question can I answer for you? So, uh, so Tim, as a young guy just getting started, um, I work in the uh, events industry, not dissimilar to uh, Jason Daynard. What's the best way to go about uh, actually getting a hold of you? <laughs> well, you're doing all right so far. You have me on the phone. Uh, so if you want to, you could try pitching me right now. What's your pitch? Absolutely. So uh, in Seattle, we're doing an event called uh, the Underground Entrepreneur Summit. Mm-hmm. So what we're trying to do is put together um, an event, not just similar to Jason's, where we, we put together about 200 people in one room in an incubator program. So people who are, are highly um, ready for new information. And uh, we'd, we'd love to have you come speak. So the uh, people in the incubator, I associate that with startups. Are these people who opt in who are entrepreneurs or are these any particular type of attendee? Oh, it, absolutely. It's uh, all entrepreneurs. Uh, got it. Of all different shapes and sizes. All different shapes and sizes. Most of all, like at a, a very low level, just, just trying to get off the ground. Got it. Okay. So the best way to get a hold of me, yeah, I'll just I'll, I'll so I'll give you feedback on on two things. So the 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 people that are ready for new information, I would make more specific. So you just if you pitch, say someone like me or uh, anyone you want to get a hold of who gets a lot of these types of pitches, the way you can differentiate yourself is by doing a couple things. Number one, realizing they probably don't make the initial decision. Uh, so for instance, in my life, I have a right-hand person who fields all of my speaking or engagement inquiries like this. Uh, sometimes, for instance, you can get IMDB Pro and find out who they are represented by. If it's, say, uh, a CAA or a WME, like a, a talent agency, oftentimes those right. people will negotiate speaking. In my case, it's I have someone full-time who handles that, among other things. Uh, and if you go to the contact page on my website, I'm pretty sure you would find at least one or two of those. Uh, a mis- common mistake a lot of people make is they will try to get direct to someone uh, who ultimately is not actually the, the least likely to respond just because they have other people to handle that type of thing. The, the other thing I would say is I would get very specific, right? So what are the benefits to the person you're pitching, right? Is it location? Is it you setting up stuff that they can do around the event? So even if the event is just getting started, like Jason's mastermind talks were just getting started a few years ago, that might be that might not be enough draw as an event in and of itself. But are you going to set up some type of unique cultural experience that isn't available to me off the rack, so to speak? Um, the in terms of the attendees, are there any particular? Uh, impressive attendees we're going to show or or do they fit a certain category that I would find interesting like fortune 500 you know fastest growing privately held company CEOs in Canada something like that can you get one of those people to attend so that you can put that in the pitch Um, and other things would include you know is it free or not free in other words uh, is it a free event for the attendees, but also are you offering, you don't have to answer this right now, but are you offering 
a speaking fee or what some people call an honorarium to speak, right? Um, is it, does it have to be done in person or if somebody can't attend because there's a date conflict, uh, would you be open to doing something via Skype, for instance, Skype video, something like that? Um, right. in any case, those are all of the recommendations I have on the pitch and kudos to you and big balls for doing it right now. Um, the, uh, Jason, if you haven't reached out to him, he's a fellow Canuck. I, th- I feel like you'd be, be a friendly fellow to reach out to. Do you, have you, have you spoken with Jason before? I haven't spoken with Jason. We're, uh, we're just actually looking to connect with him. We kind of got, you know, the second connection to him. So we're going to be reaching out to him this week. Got it. Um, let me make a couple of recommendations. So the biggest mistakes that first time or not, not first time, but, uh, sort of novice intermediate event organizers make is number one, they don't charge enough for the attendees and therefore they have very little pressure to create a high value event. And they, uh, also lack therefore the budget to put together a really good event. Uh, second is not offering busy potential speakers enough options. So for instance, I will not do in most cases, unless you're like South by Southwest or some, or Ted, I won't do a keynote for free. It's very unlikely. Or maybe if I'm speaking to students or, um, something like that, I won't do that for free, but I might do Skype for free or less. Or if you make it interesting outside of the event and offer me the opportunity uh, to meet people I wouldn't otherwise meet, then I might be open to doing something like a Q and a session, which would be sort of an Oprah style fireside chat. Um, that is, that is an option that is surprisingly effective at getting people you might not otherwise get. Um, so those, those are my, my thoughts off the bat, just because I get pitched dozens of these a week. Um, but those, those are a couple of, of ideas that may or may not be helpful. Right on, Tamil. Well, thanks for the feedback. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. And uh, I would just say also, if people want to learn more about the event or if you have a Twitter handle or anything like that, people should check out. What is it? It's uh, our company's called Tribe Zero. We're making business events fun. Um, you can find us online at tribezero.com or at TOZ Events on Twitter. At TOZ Events. And what is it to zero? What is the name again? Uh, tribe of Zero. Tribe of Zero. Got it. Okay. Well, I will get the background on the name another time. But uh, in the meantime, good luck, man. Sounds great. Have a great night. Hope it's a home run. Take it easy. Yeah. Enjoy the wine. Thanks. <laughs> Kevin, this is Tim Ferriss calling. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. You must be uh, judging by the area code. I'm not going to read your number, but you must be uh, must be getting on the late side, getting close to midnight. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm the uh, what's that? I got five one six. I'm uh, right. originally from Long Island. Yeah. Ah, so where are you now? I live in San Jose. I moved ah, out here for school. Okay. I haven't left right. since. Yeah, San Jose. I hear you have a similar story. Yeah, man, Jose. I used to. Yeah, I was spent two years <laughs> down in San Jose in the Willow Glen area, but uh, I'm actually on the East Coast right now, so I'm on the I'm on the later side. But uh, I am pleased to connect, and I'm all yours. So please ask that's awesome. anything that's on your mind. Yeah, that's a wow, car blanche right here. Um, let me see. Uh, you know what actually really does like 
I'm very curious of like, what is, I know like I've heard James Alpacher talk about how um, millionaires have like seven, I think it's like seven streams of income. Uh, what like are those streams for you? What are my streams of income? Uh, sure. Yeah, we can dive into that. So I would say uh, there are many, 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 many different streams of income. And yeah, some are extremely, you know, very small, uh, relative to the biggest. So some are just a few hundred bucks a month, right? And then Mm -hmm. some are much larger than that. So my streams of income right now, um, I would say are, uh, can be separated into predictable on a regular basis. And then unpredictable on an irregular basis. And, and, uh, the, the latter category is a little easier to describe. So I will cover that first. The unpredictable on an irregular basis would, uh, is, is actually the bulk of my net worth. And that is related to startup and early stage investment because the winners in that category, whether, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Evernote, uh, Shopify, Alibaba, et cetera, all companies I've invested in, those will generally, from the point that I invest in them, take seven to 10 years to get to a liquidity event, meaning an acquisition or an IPO after which I can freely sell my shares or stake in that company. And okay. uh, th- so that, that is one. Uh, there are others, right? So the, the, I would say that you have um, everything ranging from Amazon affiliate links, which uh, do not are not a main driver. But if you consider that I have six hundred plus blog posts, uh, when you add up all of the affiliate links, uh, four things that I would have cared enough about to recommend, even if there weren't affiliate links. Uh, that adds up to a non-trivial sum of money per month. Uh, I then have, uh, I would say, more finite um, upside opportunities. For instance, like the book club. So I have the Tim Ferriss book club, and there mm-hmm. are there are maybe seven to ten books in that category uh, or in that book club. I, the, the upside is very limited, whereas investing in something like an Uber is, in an ideal scenario, could be anywhere from a 100 to 1,000 or more than 1,000 extra turn, right? But in the case of the book club, I know that it is exceptionally difficult to sell more in the case of a home run, that, uh, in, in exceptionally difficult to sell more than, say, 25,000 to 50,000 uh, audiobooks. So I can calculate the likely maximal upside in one of those. Um, so, and I've, and I've, I've had to strike different deals with say authors or publishers, and that affects the percentage of my ROI. Um, I, I have the usual author streams of income. And by usual, I mean, speaking engagements, consulting fees, but I say no to almost all of those because I find them boring. So I don't do uh, really any consulting and I, and I do very few speaking engagements. And I've tried to take a position 
and this is based on advice from Josh Waitzkin, who's been on the podcast before, that I either do things for free or for full retail in, in the realm of speaking engagements so that I don't spend a lot of time and energy negotiating anything in between. So I either do free at something like TED or South by Southwest, where the audience makes it worth it, or I do full retail, which means no haggling. This is my price and I don't drop below that price. And you could look at sites like Washington Speakers Bureau uh, or others to get an idea of how much different people get paid uh, for that type of speaking engagement, a keynote, what have you. Um, trying to think of other sources of income. We have the podcast, which is an accidental business, right? So the pod- yeah, yeah. So the podcast really was started as a project to fill space, uh, meaning I didn't want to do another book and I decided that I wanted to try podcasting to see if I enjoyed interviewing as much as I enjoyed being interviewed in these long format podcasts like Joe Rogan, you know, the Joe Rogan experience, Nerdist, etc. Yeah. And never intended on doing sponsorships in the beginning because I'd always had a, a rather low opinion, or I should say low expectation of uh, CPM based, meaning cost per thousand, where advertisers are paying for each thousand impressions at a set dollar amount. Uh, I had a low view of that stuff because the the pricing had been eroded so much with online advertising, and I, I assumed it would be comparable. But we are we are in a golden age of podcasting, where the CPMs are are fantastic for publishers who are able to put out high quality content and maintain that over time. So the podcast itself has become a source of revenue uh, of a very, how does like an ad, sorry, how does an ad, advertising contract with uh, like an athletics, athletic greens or one of those companies that you sign? How does that work? Like, how does the con- per, per, like per episode kind of thing? Well, I, I'm not going to speak to any particular company because I have, uh, uh, I have, sort of uh, non-disclosure commitments to, uh, yeah. to all these folks. But I would say, generally speaking, I've experimented with one-offs. I've experimented with you have to pay for three episodes or you don't get to play. Uh, and where I have landed myself is that I don't offer discounts for tests because if you test a podcast at a discounted rate, that doesn't prove that you can make money at a higher rate. And... Um, I am in a position, fortunately, where there's there's just more demand for spots than supply, than available units. So uh, I try to keep things very, very simple. And this shouldn't be surprising to anyone who's read the 4-Hour Workweek. But uh, I, at this point in time, still do prepayment. And I do not offer extended payment terms for anyone. And generally speaking, the only way you get a discount per se is by buying... Actually, forget generally speaking. The only way that you get a discount is by buying a high volume of units up front. Why is that a discount? Well, it's because you're buying at the current present. You're buying at the present value, and my download numbers and my listen numbers are going through the roof. So, if you buy twelve episodes and lay them out over two to three months you are going to have a substantial discount or you should three months from now when I'm charging, 
you know, 20, 30% more per episode because you locked in that bulk rate in advance. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that's, that's typically, that's typically how that works. And I have like little things here and there. Occasionally brands approach me that want to do partnerships of one type or another. Uh, but, uh, those are the sources of income that, that come to mind. Of course, I have the books. Uh, the books still do very well. Uh, the Four Hour Work Week, The Four Hour Body, The Four Hour Chef. Uh, mo- uh, mm-hmm. All three of them are usually in the top thousand on Amazon. Uh, the Four Hour Work Week is very often even still now in the top one hundred. Four Hour Body very frequently in the top two hundred and fifty. So those books still deliver residual income uh, in the form of royalty payments. Yeah, so you just kind of get like a rolling sort of royalty check or something? Like when the, yeah. I don't know how being an yeah, author yeah. really works. No, in the publishing world, at least in the book publishing world, uh, that's typically twice a year. So you get royalty checks twice a year or on a quarterly basis, something like that. But I would say most authors who work with large publishing houses, meaning uh, the big five or the big six, get royalty payments to to four times per year. And they only get royalty payments if they have earned out their advances, right? So the advance is by definition an advance on royalties, after which you get paid a certain set amount based on the unit sales above that threshold. Uh, But uh, I, I might be missing a couple of things here and there, but there are I have other revenue streams, but um, those are the primaries that come to mind. Yeah, and then sort of most of your time now is kind of in the uh, advising roles, you say, you think? Well, uh, I've actually cut back dramatically on my startup activities because I I feel like there's a lot of... there's a lot of noise in the market and a lot of inflated pricing. Um, not in some cases where, for instance, I'm an, I, I'm an, I've been an advisor to Uber since 2008 or 2009. I don't think some companies like Uber, which have strong counter-cyclical potential and extremely healthy cash flow, uh, I don't think those are inflated. But the riding on the news of some of these massive massively there are many other kind of tag along companies that are getting absurd valuations and valuations are, are a fixable issue in some cases. But um, the, the point being there's so many, there's such an overwhelming number of new entrants into the startup world because it's a sexy sector uh, the noise is such that it makes it harder for me to do my job. And, and I don't like my job to be difficult. Uh, I would, <laughs> I would, and I, and I'm in it for the long haul. So if I'm, I'm not a fair weather angel investor, I am more than happy to wait until there's blood in the streets and invest when only the hardcore entrepreneurs who really want to build something because they cannot help themselves, they cannot live in a world where that company doesn't exist. Uh, uh, I'm perfectly happy to wait until we find ourselves in that circumstance again and then double down on those people. Uh, And in fact, if you look at uh, my most successful investments, they've almost always been in dot-com depressions, so to speak. Uh, Not when the covers of every business magazine feature 
startup founders and CEOs or venture capitalists. Um, so I, I'm not saying there's a correction pending any particular point in the future, particularly with um, quantitative easing and, and so on. It makes it exceptionally difficult to, to try to time this type of thing. But um, I am focusing more on building my assets and machine within my editorial world for the blog, for the podcast, for email, and so on, because I can magnify any opportunity I capitalize on with those assets. Uh, then I am focused on the, by definition, highly speculative world of early stage startups, particularly when the deck is stacked against me with a surplus of capital coming into this sector. And just a lot of silly nonsense going on. So I, so I'm spending less and less time on that and more and more time on what I enjoy, which is putting together writing and the podcast and so on, which, which gives me an opportunity to, to also develop skills and relationships that translate to other areas. Definitely. That's cool. awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I'm loving the blog. Love the podcast. You just you put out so much stuff; it's almost exhausting to keep up with. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just imagine, just imagine how I feel. Uh, yeah, but, I know. But, but you, I mean, we all have to spend our time doing something. And I think the the biggest misinterpretation of the four hour work week is that the objective is to be idle, and that's not my objective at all. The objective is to control time so you can allocate it to the things that you enjoy doing or that are highest leverage. And, uh, that's, that's exactly what I'm doing right now. So, uh, Kevin, I tell you what, I'm sure we could, we could talk for much longer, but I'm going to have yeah, one, man. one final swig, swig of vodka and, and probably get a move on <laughs> for sure. Thanks for taking the time, man. Yeah, of course. And, uh, enjoy San Jose. <laughs> I've spent a lot of time there and, uh, I appreciate the time. Yeah, for sure. Thank you again. All right, man. And uh, keep doing you. <laughs> I will. You too. This episode is brought to you by Wealthfront, and this is a very unique sponsor. Wealthfront is a massively disruptive, in a good way, set it and forget it investing service led by technologists from places like Apple and world famous investors. It has exploded in popularity in the last two years, and they now have more than two and a half billion dollars under management. In fact, some of my very good friends, investors in Silicon Valley have millions of their own money in Wealthfront. So the question is why? Why is it so popular? Why is it unique? Because you can get services previously reserved for the ultra wealthy, but only pay pennies on the dollar for them. And this is because they use smarter software instead of retail locations, bloated sales teams, etc. And I'll come back to that in a second. I suggest you check out wealthfront.com forward slash Tim. Take the risk assessment quiz, which only takes two to five minutes, and they'll show you for free exactly the portfolio they put you in. And if you just want to take their advice, run with it, do it yourself, you can do that. Or as I would, you can set it and forget it. And here's why. The value of Wealthfront is in the automation of habits and strategies that investors should be using on a regular basis, but normally aren't. Great investing is a marathon, not a sprint, and little things that you may or may not be familiar with, like automatic tax loss harvesting, rebalancing your portfolio across more than 10 asset classes, and dividend reinvestment add up to very large amounts of money over longer periods of time. Wealthfront, as I mentioned, since it's using software instead of retail locations, etc., can offer all of this at low costs that were previously completely impossible. Right off the bat, you never pay commissions or account fees. For everything, they charge 0.25% per year 
on assets above the first 15000 which is managed for free if you use my link, wealthfront.com forward slash Tim. That is less than $5 a month to invest a $30,000 account, for instance. Now, normally when I have a sponsor on this show, it's because I use them and recommend them. In this case, it's a little different. I don't use Wealthfront yet because I'm not allowed to. Here's the deal. They wanted to sponsor this podcast, but because of SEC regulations, companies that invest your money are not allowed to use client testimonials. So I couldn't be a user and have them on the podcast. But I've been so impressed by Wealthfront that I've invested a significant amount of my own money, at least for me, uh, in the team and the company itself. So I am an investor and hope to soon use it as a client. Now back to the recommendation. As a Tim Ferriss Show listener, you'll get $15,000 managed for free if you decide to open an account. But just start with seeing the portfolio that they would suggest for you. Take two minutes, fill out their questionnaire at wealthfront.com forward slash Tim. It's fast, it's free. There's no downside that I can think of. Now, I do have to read a mandatory disclaimer. Wealthfront Inc. is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Investing in securities involves risks, and there is the possibility of losing money. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Please visit Wealthfront.com to read their full disclosure. So check it out, guys. This is one of the hottest, most innovative companies coming out of Silicon Valley, and they're killing it. They've become massively popular. Just take a look, see what portfolio they would create for you, and you can use that information however you want. Wealthfront.com forward slash Tim. 